Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Many in hockey circles have crossed paths with our guest today. He's known as the godfather of USA hockey because of his New York roots. He's had an amazing career, an amazing journey in the game of ice hockey, from the streets of Brooklyn to Moscow, Russia, and numerous Olympics, a career that spans almost over 50 years. We welcome to Inside the Game podcast, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR, Mr. Lou Varro from USA Hockey. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you, Chris. I'm good. Okay. Let's go back to when you started hockey. How old were you and what type of hockey did you play? You're from Brooklyn, New York. Just a little precursor there. Yeah, I always, uh, I love being born and growing up in Brooklyn. Loved it. Dodger games, Yankee games, Giant games. I just loved it. And Ranger games and Nick games. I used to go to all of them because it was cheap, 50 cents. And uh, you could see professionals play. I loved hockey. We all did, but we had no ice rinks, not a single rink in Brooklyn at that time when I grew up in the 50s and 60s. It didn't exist. But occasionally we'd get Win Elliott and the New York Rangers game on. Uh, he was the announcer, never got a name right. He'd get all <laughs> excited. He was good, though. And uh, it, we loved hockey. And there was a group of grown-ups that men that played roller hockey and it was usually just in a schoolyard and no nets or homemade nets or pylons or something but you used the stick and you skated on asphalt with four steel wheel old they called them chicago roller skates they actually had a boot and <clears throat> we got interested in that sticks for 75 cents and the kids got interested, and we used to play on a bumpy, lousy, paved deal behind a supermarket across from where I was growing up. It was a housing project, Bayview Houses. And uh, eight, nine of us, that's all there was. And one day, a guy pulled up with a, a beat-up old car. I remember he had a rope holding the door shut. There was a <laughs> sign on it that said, A1 Pest Control. <laughs> he came out, nice guy, he must have probably been in his early 30s. And he came, he just, it was a nice man smiling, and he said, hey, hey, kids, you're not doing this right. And uh, my big deal was I wanted to learn how do you lift the puck when you shoot it. I couldn't mm -hmm. lift the puck, and he says, I play roller hockey in the men's, we have a league in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and, and a real nice, smooth Asphalt. He said, "This you can't play on this. You know, if you have fillings, they'll come out. It was so bumpy, <laughs> as you stated. So I said, um, how do you lift the puck? He said, first of all, that stick. What do you have all that tape on it everywhere? I said, so it won't break. You know, it was 75 cents. I didn't have money for that. He said, no, take the tape off. The stick is too heavy. Actually, that day he showed me how to lift the puck, and he, he told us, he said, how about Saturday morning? I'll come by and I'll get a couple of buddies and we'll take you kids to Bay Ridge to try to skate. The real hockey, you know, real, real, a nice court, yeah. And his name was Eddie Escanzi, and he's gone now. He was great. And he coached us. He taught us how to, how to play. And it was really, it, the comparison to ice hockey would be softball to baseball. Baseball's better, but softball's fun. And a lot of the same actions you know, 
a lot of the principles of the sport are similar. And uh, so that's what we did. And we got pretty good at roller hockey. Then leagues started to form and they were putting up boards and one rink had lights and became big time for us. Was and it fun? It was great fun. And it was one reason it was fun is when I say Eddie was a coach, he didn't coach us in a game. He showed he was an instructor and taught us how to do certain things. But we coached ourselves, actually in every sport, the neighborhood kids. We played everything, football, basketball, baseball, softball, punch ball, stick ball, roller hockey. We coached ourselves. And I often sit in my office here and I think one of the big things missing today that we had, we had fun. I mean, we had no pressure. We played because we loved it got hurt we rubbed you know rubbed it off and kept yeah, going just play and uh, the other thing is we learned how to be good sportsmen on our own we were tough kids in brooklyn fighting you got to be tough to come from new york I, was, I... Was <laughs> a fist fight a week was common for every kid so we weren't afraid but we learned sportsmanship and we learned how to uh, respect opponents and teammates and we were fair as kids, we weren't so cruel when it came to sports. The weaker players played. You know, when mm -hmm. you get a coach, sometimes the weaker players don't get to play. Coach wants to win. Yeah. Kids want to play and enjoy it and have fun. We were competitors. So it was a wonderful foundation for me. And by the time 1965 or 6, we, we uh, got an ice rink. In, at the World's Fair was the New York State or New York City building was turned into a, it was horrible, terrible <laughs> rink, cement walls, oh, oh, it was awful. ice, foot thick, uh, no Zambonis. Yeah. It was horrible, but it was ice. And I, I was in the army. I had been drafted for two years. I got out. The league had just formed. Bart Brillo, who I had worked for and was in charge of the roller hockey leagues, a great, great man. Eddie Escanzi, uh, Walt Iachic, Bob Sciotta, Jerry Rodelli, all these guys, Joe Lagatuda, Webb, Freddie Weber, myself, we formed a league called the Greater New York City Ice Hockey League, and they're over 50 years old, and they're still producing players, and they're still operating today. So you, you made that transition you just talked about from street hockey to ice hockey. Um, your first coaching job. I, I was doing some research on this and what somebody asked you to coach a midget team and you thought they were referring to dwarves. In the, yeah, in well, the... <laughs> Bart said to me, I didn't know that terminology. See, I had just gotten out of the army. I was there and, and uh, at the game, there was a game at that rink. I could tell you that some of the players on that team and uh, Bart said, Louie, I need you to uh, go coach this team. The coach didn't show up. I, I said, what team? He said, it's a midget team. It's in the midget league. They were 15 and 16. That was, I learned it at night. Yeah. I said, midget team. And I looked at Bart and I said, you mean little guys? <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. That's just the term. We have bantams, peewees, squirts, mites, squirts, mites yeah. juveniles, juniors, and midgets. I said, I don't know how to coach. And he, and there are plenty of players will tell you to this day, I don't know how to coach. <laughs> And I said, what was it like? Uh, I mean, you get there for your first game. So you know anything about line changes? Normal, you know, it's not a normal bench. 
It's yes. a, a flight of steps with a rail between them and no door. It was open, wide open. And that's what we had. So I went on the bench and I said to them, guys, I don't know how to coach. What do you want me to do? <laughs> they said, just changes up on every whistle or something like that. Yeah. I said, okay. And there was some of those kids, Ralph DeChico, Aldo Navegna, Jimmy Siatsis, uh, it was great. It really was great, but I was embarrassed. Of course, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And it's easier to be a player than a coach. Yeah, so much easier. Next day, I went to the library. That's what I was going to ask, you know. Book, Lloyd Percival. Uh, oh, I forgot the name of it. Uh, I still have I have that book. I didn't steal it. I brought it back, but I bought <laughs> one later on. Um, anyway, it was it was very interesting, and I read it two or three times. And uh, I so you got the coaching bug now about that book and Ted Lindsay and they knew Lloyd Percival. He worked in the Red Wing training camps many, many, many years ago. They liked him. They thought he made sense. And, and, and it was very simple. It wasn't complicated. And I spoke to Tarasov about this book and he said it's in his library. It was the first book coincidentally that he ever read on hockey. He had it translated and Mm -hmm. Red. So Lloyd Percival played a, a part in modern hockey today. And I started to get interested in it. I never got the coaching bug. Being, you just wanted to do it. You're like, oh, this is fun. I like working I, with the kids. I, it was fun because I like people and I like working with people. And there were things I remembered from playing roller hockey that I applied. Like I remember one time, eight on the team. We only had eight guys at Jimmy Murphy's outdoor roller rink on Floppish Avenue and uh, in Brooklyn. And we had a coach, I don't know, play a coach. And he, he didn't play me. Wind was blowing, freezing, snow. My younger brother played, but he was a better skater. He didn't play me. And I never said nothing. I was probably 14. I wouldn't say it a word, not a word. And uh, just took it. But I remember how hurt I felt, how I thought that was so unfair for anybody. We didn't do that as kids. We made sure all our friends, all our teammates played and we supported them, even if they were poor players. You know, we we were good people. And what's this guy doing? He had an adult in the middle of it and he's ruining it. So I remembered that. So I made sure from that first day as a coach, I have never not played, including at the highest level, Olympics, national team, anything else, every kid plays. You're on the team, you're going to play. Just ask for one thing, 100% effort for your teammates. You got to compete. So you're getting into coaching. You're really enjoying it. You're having a lot of fun with it. You like working with the kids. Uh, you talk your way into watch a Rangers practice. Talk about that experience and how that really vaulted you and, and, and you know, who, who was the coach at the time and, and what did, they, what did they, they teach you guys? Well, when this happened, we got this rink. Amo Francis had come to New York as a general manager coach. Changed everything. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. He's one of the greatest people that I've ever known. He, he was just great. He, his legacy... Look, let me lay it out and honest, and anybody in pro hockey will tell you it's true. Emil built a great New York Ranger uh, franchise. He saved it. There used to be four, five, six thousand people at a game. 
had sellouts after he came in and with his discipline, hard work, his great competitive spirit. And he made great moves and brought in great young players. Tate, Kachuk, uh, Joe Bear, Rattel, uh, Hatfield, McGregor, you name it. Uh, he brought in Eddie Jockerman. He made Eddie Jockerman. He really did. Found him and brought him in. And I used to watch the practices. And I'll get to your answer in a minute. But Emil Francis was the difference. And he got interested. Of course, he had two sons that were one just starting and the other one a little older, Rick. Rick was playing in New Hyde Park on Long Island, close to where he lived in Long Beach. And Rick was a pretty decent player. And then there was young Bobby. And Bobby, and then he brought Jeffrey on in to play, and young Dan Jeffrey on. They came to join our league because they were little kids, like, you know, squirts or something. And I remember tying their skates, both of them, with all the kids. We used to help tie skates, you know. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah, you do that. <laughs> tie their skates. They'd go out there and play. And Bobby, of course, and Danny had some games in the NHL. And, and Bobby turned out to be one of the great coaches till his back issues forced him to retire. He was a terrific coach. He had his father's competitive spirit and heart. Well, Emil, Emil said, I'm going to start a junior league. New York Metropolitan Junior League, and he did. Hall of Famers are in there. And, and, yeah, and the Mullen brothers. Famous. The Mullen, Joey Mullen, he's in there. Um, and I used to take Joey to the rink on Monday nights and uh, with all those little kids on the west side. And Emil gave me, a, John Muckler worked for the Rangers. He'd bring a sack of uh, subway tokens. They were 15 cents each and give them to me on 49th Street. You could see the Ranger office above when the old garden, not the, the, old, garden, yep. the old Madison Square Garden on 8th Avenue and 49th. And uh, Emil would be standing there looking, and I used to see him do this. And I asked Muckler, I said, John, what's Emil doing? He says, oh, he's counting. He <laughs> said, uh, you got to watch those Italians. <laughs> He'll tell you there's 20 kids and there might only be 16. He'll pocket the 60 cents. <laughs> and, and anyway, he would <laughs> make it funny. You know, hey, money was tight. So yeah. he would uh, bring the tokens and he allowed those kids on, in Hell's Kitchen on the West Side to Monday nights in Flushing. I'd take them on the subway. But them little buggers, I'd give them each a token and they would wait. They wouldn't use them. They'd wait for the subway to pull in, and then they'd go open the gate and run in or go underneath <laughs> the turnstile and, and pocket the money. And when they got to the next, to, we finally got to the station, Willits Point and mm -hmm. Shea Stadium, they would cash them in. And they had 15 cents, and after practice that practice, night. Practice, get, get a drink, get a, get a hot dog yeah. or whatever, yeah. No, just a drink. And... Uh, they were hot stuff. <laughs> Those kids were something. But Emil Francis, I attribute to the development of hockey in the New York, uh, New Jersey area. He definitely, Connecticut, he definitely was incredible in what he did. And we're all, I think everybody that grew up during that time is indebted and grateful to him. So 1970, you're watching Wide World of Sports on ABC TV. And you see a game between the Soviet national team and the Swedish national team. What caught your eye? No, 69 did, it was. Oh, 69. Okay, 69. Yeah, I'd gone to church that day in the morning. 
and went over to one of my grandmother's houses about 15, 20 people every Sunday with family. All family. Oh, the big, we, big Italian Sunday dinners in New York. Wonderful, <laughs> we'd have a wonderful meal, sit at the table three, four hours, jokes, stories, all that stuff, especially in the winter, you were stuck in the house. <laughs> so uh, I was bored as hell. And I said, can I go watch TV in Uncle Bill and Aunt Sophie's bedroom? They yeah. lived with my grandmother. That was Sophie was the young, oldest daughter. She even raised the family in my grandmother's house together. And I, she said, sure. So I went in there. My uncle played pinochle. So he had a little folding table with pads, pencils, stuffed cards. And the TV was off to the side. And I sat in the chair, could see the TV and lean my, remember leaning my elbow on that table. And by chance, just turning, turning channels while, you, you know, with that ski guy. The ski guy coming down, yep. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, yes. And they said, we now take you to Stockholm, Sweden to watch a championship, a gold medal game of the World Championships, the International Ice Hockey Federation, Team Sweden and Soviet Union. And I'd never seen that hockey before. I went to a million Ranger games. I'd never seen that. And I'm watching and I said, boy, is this unusual hockey, black and white TV, rabbit ears, aluminum foil on the ends, you know, and the TV jumping <laughs> yep. once in a while, yep. a small screen. And I'm saying to myself, this is fantastic hockey. Look at these guys skating. Look at the skill and the passing and receiving the passes. It was very different. A lot of uh, across the rink as opposed to just up and down. I said, these, these, these guys are good. And the Soviets won and they were a little better, but the Swedes were good. And they had uh, zoomed in on the bench one time. And the guy said, that's the Soviet head coach, Anatoly Tarasov. And it also was written underneath. Uh, his name would go along underneath. So I, I wrote it down. I had a really, I never heard of a name like that. Anatoly Tarasov, what kind of name is that? And I wrote it down and I put it in my pocket, folded it up, put it in my pocket. I had a sport coat on because I had gone to church and I figured I'd been wearing this sport coat four or five times in a row to church. I better bring it in and get it cleaned. So the next day I, I forgot about it. And the next day I went to the cleaners across from where I was living. I had my own little apartment on Cropsey Avenue in Brooklyn, not too far from Coney Island. And, uh, I left the coat. I said, here, I'm bringing this in to be cleaned. And as I was leaving, the woman said, sir, sir, I went through the pockets. They do that automatically. And you have this piece of paper. I said, what is it? She said, I don't know. It's some name it looks like or a place. It was his name. Mm -hmm. so I said, I'll throw it away. She says, no, just take it. So I took it. Then I remembered walking out. I walked across the street, went upstairs, got a pencil and a paper, and said, I'm going to write a letter to this guy. Now, I have to ask you right here. Did you know how to say anything in Russian? Did you write the letter in English? I mean, did you no, know where to send it to? I, mean, English. I didn't have a clue. I was careful to try to be neat. I did you know, did you know where to send it to? I mean, did you have any well, idea? I knew he was the head coach of the Soviet national team. So I assumed he would get it if I, I had no address. I put Anatoly Taras. They pronounce it Tarasov. I we say Tarasov. Yes. 
uh, head coach, USSR national hockey team, Moscow, USSR. That's what I put. Okay. And I folded it up, put it in a normal envelope, you know, brought it to the post office. I didn't know how much stamps to put on. I got there and the guy's looking at me, said 375 or something. It's a lot of money back then. Yeah, I made $60 a week. That was my salary. Putting air conditioners in. You imagine mm -hmm. that? 60 bucks a week. I had to pay rent. I didn't have to worry about food, food Matt. My grandmother's, my mother, they <laughs> sneak over. They had keys, you know, for my apartment. They put prepared foods in and groceries, do laundry. Italian kids are you're, you're living. You're living large. <laughs> yeah, they're spoiled. And to this day, they are. So anyway, I, uh, I say, no, I can't. The guy said, why don't you rewrite it on Paravion? It was like tissue paper, like a yes. blue thin paper. And I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Paravion airmail. I said, what does that say? He said, airmail. I said, I can't. I have no time to do that. I got to go to work. I almost, I came that close to just ask, ah, screw it. Uh, yeah, not doing it. That was the end of segment one here with Lou Varro from USA Hockey on Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR. Stay tuned for segment two. Inside the Game, brought to you by Flex Coach and Flex Coach VR.